for joining us for this month's episode of Fraud Talk. I'm Courtney Howell, Community Manager for the ACFE, and our guest today is Natasha Williams. Natasha is a Senior Manager of Global Compliance at BioRad Laboratories. Today, we're specifically going to dig into how organizations can enforce third-party audits. Natasha has seen many organizations bump into this hurdle, and lucky for us, she tackles it on a daily basis. Thank you for joining us, Natasha. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, so we're just going to jump right in. Like I said, we're going to be talking about enforcing third-party audit rights. And just to like give a broad view, uh, many organizations work with several different third parties. What activities would trigger an organization's decision to audit a third party? Because of the changing landscape of the business environment, a lot of companies are going global to expand their business networks. Third-party audits are now becoming the new normal. So for many businesses, it's not whether or not you're going to audit, it's when you're going to audit, especially if you're operating in high-risk areas. So audit rights are slowly becoming a non-negotiable part of the agreement in order to do business because first we have to try to mitigate the risk, especially if you're operating in high-risk countries, and also you want to ensure FCPA compliance and and also anti-corruption compliance within the geographical region where you're trying to do business. So audit rights are the new normal, and so mo- a lot more companies are trying to really enforce that. What are some of like the biggest challenges that you see when you're going into a new region or into some of these high-risk regions that you're talking about? No one likes to be audited. It's usually not a pleasant process. And so what we found out when we said we were going to go and audit, they didn't really believe us. It's in all our agreements, and so people, they read it, and then especially if they've been a business partner for several years and you've never audited, they just think, oh, it's just a term. It's just a term in there. If I'm not doing anything wrong, I'm not going to be audited. When we started to make audits a non-negotiable where everybody gets audited, just not at the same time, and start scoping out the audits for all of our third-party business partners, well, they were a little bit hesitant at first, and then they didn't want the audits. So we had to just remind them that, hey, it's a part of the contract. It's not that you've done anything wrong. So we try our best to reassure them that this is just a normal course of business. And of of course, they have some, some reluctance because nobody wants you to come in and look at their books and tell them what they're doing wrong or criticize them. So that's how they see it. But we try to explain it as normal course of business, nothing unusual, and it's a win-win for everybody. We just want to ensure that they know what's expected so they can meet our expectations as a business partner and we want them to be successful. So we are just trying to find out if there's any room for improvement that they can enhance their business and then they win, we win. It sounds like most of the time you're going in because it's just part of the process. Is there ever a time when you initiate a third party audit because there's a suspicion of fraud that has been raised and what would that look like? Yes. There comes a time when there's either a tip through the hotline or there's something in the due diligence that we run. We do a, a ongoing due diligence process. And if there's some kind of negative news or a negative due diligence report, that may require us to do an investigative type of audit. So the general audit is just more of an exploratory type. We don't have any allegations of corruption, no allegations of fraud. We're just doing a wellness check. But when we do have a a suspicion of fraud through a tip or through reporting of some kind, then we notify them that we need to do a more investigative type of audit, and then we structure the audit differently. So, of course, based on whatever the allegation is, you want to structure your audit to be able to see if there's any merit to the allegation and if there's something that's going to impact your business that you really need to follow. If you do have to do this, you know, 
start an audit because a concern has been raised. Do you see different kinds of pushback from organizations or are they usually glad that you've spotted it? What's the typical reaction there? Luckily for us, we have not had a lot of investigative type of audits that we've had to do, but it it does happen. It it happens, especially when people are reporting through the hotline. The hotline is anonymous, so anybody can make an, an allegation and it may not even be true. It could be a disgruntled employee. It could be a disgruntled spouse. It could be a competitor who was upset that they didn't win a tender and you did. And they say, oh, they must have been doing some kind of corrupt activity. Our policy is everything that comes to the hotline, we have to investigate. So we do have a technique where we have an investigative team that goes in and they review the merits of the case. And then we do contact them. Of course, people will say, hey, I, you know, this is not true. We don't do this. But they've been very, very responsive because it would really look suspicious and raise a lot of red flags if they're, they're refusing to come and have you interview them and to perform an investigation to see if there's any merit. So for the most part, what investigative audits are a lot easier mm-hmm. than the regular audits. <laughs> because when you're doing a regular audit, they think that, oh, you think I'm doing something wrong. But when you have an investigative audit, you tell them, listen, we had a report that came in through the hotline. And of course, they want to clear their name. So they're even more cooperative because they say, hey, this is not true. Come in. I'm going to show you everything. I'm going to prove that this is a false allegation. You see, those are a little bit have less pushback than just the normal course of audit. Interesting. That made me think, what if you go in with the idea that it's just a general audit, everything's routine, and then you come across something that you suspect might be an indicator of fraud? How do, how do you shift over to an investigative audit from there? That's what we're looking for. When we go there, we're, we're doing a wellness check. We're trying to see if they're compliant with anti-corruption laws, not violating FCPA, et cetera. And if you see something that looks suspicious, most times you don't have a clear indication that, oh, this really is a fraud or this really is an illegal activity or corrupt activity. It may be a big red flag and it may on the surface look like like it is. But usually when these audits are scoped, it's not scoped to take on that kind of task. So what I tell my auditors is to get as much information that you can about the situation. Do not make any kind of allegations. Do not make any kind of pre-assumptions about it. Just collect the facts because usually there's a separate audit team that's going to go in and do a more thorough deep dive just in that particular area. And so that's how that's how we handle it. So you just want to gather as many facts and then you want to do a thorough investigation. So you're not going to be equipped to do a thorough investigation right on the spot. So it's just a fact gathering mission. And then you have to plan because you may have to have special investigator to come in. If they have skills that you don't have in your team, you may have to consult outside counsel. So it's a process. It's a process. So you don't want to jump the gun and then start an investigation you just want to gather as much information right. as you can to help the investigative team when they do go in to perform the investigative audit. What is the auditor's responsibility to find fraud when you're just doing these routine audits? How do you look at that? We all know that we as auditors are not guaranteed to find fraud. Even though we're doing, again, an exploratory audit, if we've never been to that business partner before, our mission is to go and try to see if there's anything going on to the best of our ability. It's not our, our, our chief focus, but that's what in the back of our head, we're looking to see if there's any kind of corruption risk with this business partner. We structure the audit in a way that it will hopefully uncover if anything is going on. Because we have several steps to the audit program. The first part is interview. You're talking to them about their business in, in general. We kind of mix the questions up 
bribes. So we don't just start off off the bat. Are you paying bribes? <laughs> so we work our way into it. We work our way into it. We start off with just tell us about your business. Tell us about any business challenges that you're having. Have you have ever had like a, a proposition that you felt uncomfortable about by a government official or a government customer? So we work our way into it. And the way that they answer the question will let us know if there's anything that we may need to dig deeper on, right? So that's the exploratory part. And then we do look at transactions. We choose critical transactions where fraud and, you know, corruption can be found. And so we do sample sizing and, and stuff like that. And that's how we find some of the stuff. So we, we're looking for specific transactions where they could possibly hide, like payments to people or stuff like that. Have you ever had a case where you're going in and the third party is really resistant to the idea of an audit? What would you do to get them a little more on board with the idea? We ha- we've had different kind of uh, scenarios. The, the first scenario is always that they refuse to audit from the get-go. We don't do surprise audits just because it's not, it's not uh, efficient or effective. You need to make sure that the right people are there at the time you're going to go to audit. So we always notify them. Usually, if they're going to refuse to audit, it'll be very difficult. They do it right off the start. So you know what you're working with, and then we have procedures of how we get to convince them to accept the audit. They've already agreed to the audit in their contract, and if they refuse, it's a breach in the agreement, which means we can terminate you. So we don't want to go that route because we know that the main reason people are fearing the audit is because they don't understand what it's about. They don't know what we're looking for, and they're afraid that maybe they're not perfect. They expect, they think that we expect them to be perfect. And we go in and we say, no, we did not expect you to be perfect. This is normal course of business. This is what we're going to do. So we're very transparent about you know, why we're doing the audit, why it's necessary, the scope of what we're covering. So we tell them, and it's all about training, and, and usually once they know what to expect, then they agree to it. Sometimes they still don't agree. They don't agree to it. But it takes other measures that we have to get legal involved. But I try to find out, what's your concern? What do you think is going to happen because of the audit? Because that, that would tell you why they're giving you pushback. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes the other scenario is that people will agree to the audit, and you think everything's fine. They say, come on in. Oh, yeah, those dates work for me. We'll be ready for you, et cetera. You get there, and then they say, okay, we're not showing you anything. And then it's like, well, why didn't you express your concerns three months ago when we approached you to say we would like to conduct an audit? This is, these are the dates. So it does happen. And so then we go through the process that we would have done months earlier mm-hmm. and say, you know, asking them, what's your concern? We, we always go in and explain the audit, even before the audit, because they have like annual meetings. We participated in those, and we did like an audit a audit prep session to say, okay, everybody's going to get audited at some point in the future. This is what you need to do. This is why we're doing this. And so we do that well in advance. And then when they get in the audit program, we then the first day of the audit, we re-emphasize the whole thing. We have an audit kickoff meeting. Sometimes it can happen before the audit, but we try to do it in person because it's a lot better than trying to do a WebEx or over the phone, mm-hmm. et cetera. So, uh, so we just try to ease their concern you know, try to say, okay, whatever falsehoods they have in their mind about this audit, we try to debunk those. They say, oh, everything's confidential. Okay, we understand you have confidential information. This is what we're looking for. What we're looking for is really not confidential. However, we can sign a non-disclosure agreement, and everything that we collect during the audit, all our conversations is held confidential. We don't share with the commercial organization because a lot of times they think that you're trying to get a, 
an advantage, you know, from a business perspective. They don't understand that the audit team is independent of commercial. So we go through the whole process and say, okay, this is how we're structured. Audit is part of the legal compliance group. We don't, we do not share information. Commercial only receives the final audit report and the findings from the audit. We don't take your documentation. We don't share with anybody. And usually a non-disclosure will be okay for them. And then if that doesn't work, and they say, no, we still don't want, we don't feel comfortable, we don't trust you, that you're not going to share our information. So then we, our, our last resort is to have a third party, an independent third party conduct the audit. We don't really like that because then you lose visibility if you're not there. Mm-hmm. And you have to rely on the third party to know, you know, we're trying to get to know the business, know the channel partner, know that, that the perceived risk are real. And it's hard to know that if you're not the one doing the audit. But as a last resort, if we cannot convince them to, to agree to the audit, then we say, okay, we can have an a independent third party, but we select the auditors. We select the firm, we select the auditors, and then they will go and they will perform the audit based on our test papers. Sometimes that works. Then when that doesn't work, then we just say, listen, you're in breach. <laughs> you're in breach <laughs> of your contract. I like to say resistance is futile. You can't resist because if you want to do business with us, this is the requirement. You agree to it. You're in breach and you cannot be no longer be a business partner. So usually it's like a game of poker. Sometimes they think you're bluffing and we've had that and we had to go so far as to have legal send the letter of breach. And then when they get the letter of breach, then they say, oh, okay, oh, you know what? It's a misunderstanding. We understand now. Come on and do the audit. So that happens. And then after they get the breach letter, if they still say, well, you know what? Your business is only 1% of our sales. We don't really care. Nobody's looking at our books. And we say, okay, thank you for your services. And then we'll have to follow the termination procedures. The thing is, is that management has to be really serious about this. You cannot back down. You have to be strong. You have to say, oh, this is non-negotiable. No matter what, you may have to bleed a little bit. If you have to cut somebody, you have to cut them. Because if you start making exceptions, you know, they talk to each other, then somebody else is going to say, just refuse. Just refuse, and then they'll just say, okay, and go away. That's Mm -hmm. what they think is going to happen. But now they know know it's not going to happen. We're not going to go away. And if we go away, you're going away too. Have you ever been in a situation where the organization you were with wasn't holding their ground? And if so, what would you recommend the auditors do in that situation? Like when we're already there and then they they refuse to cooperate once we're there? No, like maybe the organization that you're with as the auditor gets the pushback and they're like, okay, we'll put it off until a later date and then they just keep putting it off or something like that where they are kind of backing down from the people who are supposed to be audited. No, because this is the thing. When you're going to start doing third-party audits, you have to get, everybody has to be in agreement. People at the tone at the top has to be audits are non-negotiable. If you don't have that agreement going, you know, before you get started, then of course you're going to get this pushback. The first year is always difficult because, you know, people are not used to it and they think that, okay, we can just get talked out of it. And that happens. That happens. But once they know, if you have the leadership, it's like, no, audits are non-negotiable. We're we're doing the best for our, our company, for our business to keep us, you know, to mitigate the fraud risk and the corruption risk as much as possible. You can't like exclude it 100%, but you can do your best to try to mitigate the risk and doing these audits is a part of that, right? So, if you don't have talent at the top that says, okay, these are non-negotiable, then of course you know, it's not going to work because salespeople, whatever, can try to you make excuses for them. So we try to be flexible. We do try to be flexible. Like I said, we don't do surprise audits, and then we also send them well in advance. These are our proposed audit dates. We do it at the beginning of the year, and if they have a conflict, which sometimes they do, people are traveling to conferences or whatever, uh, they have other audits going on, maybe a statutory audit, our key people are not going to be there for whatever reason, and then we try to work with them in advance of the audit to say, okay, 
if these dates don't work for you, what dates will work for you? Now, sometimes they come, we just had one uh, actually yesterday, the audit is in two weeks, and they want to change the dates. Well, it's a little bit late to change the dates. You've known about this audit since March, and now you want to change the dates? And so we just said, okay, first of all, why do you want to change the dates? It has to be a valid reason. You mm-hmm. can't just want to change the dates because you don't want the audit. So if they have a valid reason to change the dates because somebody's not going to be there, they have to go to this, travel for this important conference or whatever, and then we can work our schedule around it as long as it's within reason. We're not going to put it off until next year, unless we have to. Sometimes you have to because maybe that's a political situation. We've had to do that. You know, the world is very volatile these days. A lot of stuff is, is going on in certain regions. And if we have to, we can't postpone the audit until the following year. If it's like a political situation, if, if, if a war is broken out or something like that, no, we're not going to insist to go do an audit during the war. We are flexible. We are flexible within reason. It has to be a valid reason. You can't just have this postponement. And we will do it once to accommodate you if you say you have a valid reason because we want everybody to be cooperative. We have our limits. So it's a case-by-case basis. And we had to do that because, you know, they had a political conflict in South American country and stuff, and it was very dangerous for the people there, uprising against the government. And we're supposed to do the audit. And I said, you know what? We don't have to do this audit right now. There was no, it was just, it was just a regular audit. It wasn't like because it was an investigation or anything like that. So he said, you know what? We want them to be in the best state of mind when we go to audit because yeah. uh, audits are already kind of tense and stuff, and you don't need to have external environmental pressures and stuff that's going to impact the audit. So we just postponed it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know what? And they were very, very happy. And they said, thank you so much for your consideration of, of what we're going through. It, they were really impressed that we said, hey, you know, we know that your country is having some strife right now. And we don't want to increase the stress on you guys. And so we would like to postpone your audit. And so they made us look like we were a caring partner. We're not saying like, oh, we don't care what's going on. The audit has to happen. So no, we, we, we do, you know, postpone things and make adjustments when necessary. It seems like it's all part of creating a cooperative culture between both you and the third party being audited. Exactly. You know, we try to take the focus off of the audit and then say, hey, you know what? We're business partners. We both want to be successful. You win, we win. So we're trying to do this. This is just a normal course of business and we're, we'll work with you. We're, our mission is not to terminate business. That's not our ultimate goal. Our mission is to ensure everybody is compliant. Definitely. What sort of mistakes or missteps should auditors avoid when they're going in to do these third-party audits, especially on the more investigative side? If you're in there and, um, and you know, we are looking for any illegal activity. That, that's one of our main goals, you know, to educate them and also to see if there's any illegal activity, either deliberate or unintentional. Sometimes people, you know, oh, this way we do business, they didn't think that it was illegal per se. So mm-hmm. what, I, what, what I tell my artists is, first of all, if you find something that looks like it could be fraud or illegal payment or something like that, stay calm. Don't get overzealous and, you know, and say, oh, I found one, you know, because you don't want to alert them. Right. We're not the compliance police or the fraud police. We, we're the good cop. We go there and say, hey, we're trying to help you, make sure you understand everything, that you're compliant. When you have that attitude and you don't go there very aggressive, then they, they open up and they tell you stuff when you're nice and stuff. And then, and then they may tell you something that's exactly what you were trying to find, but they already told you and didn't know they, they told you because they didn't, they were just talking. And sometimes things slip out and then you'd be like, ding, ding, ding in your head, but you can't let that show. Then you're just like, oh, okay. Oh, well, can you elaborate a little bit more about that? All you're doing is trying to find out more information so that you can give it to the investigative team. Don't assume what it looks like on the surface is actually what it is. Because when you're going through this process, like for instance, we were looking at some transactions in this one country and it was a big and bold letters. It said fraud and it was circled with a question mark. 
And it was like, okay, what is this? <laughs> what is this? We always say in auditing, nobody's going to say, yeah, I did a fraud or here's a fraud. Or, you're not going to have like that direct evidence of it. You have to kind of like find it and it shows up out of the blue. If you find something, unless you have a tip. If you have a tip, then you know kind of like where to look. But we don't know where to look. So we're just prodding around, you know, seeing where it could possibly be if it was there. So you see that and you're like, wow, I never thought it's like a unicorn. Never thought I would actually see somebody identify the fraud and label it, right? So on the surface, it said fraud. Then you have to say, okay, calm down. Let's find out exactly why they wrote this on this document <laughs> and kind of find out it wasn't, it was a fraud, but it wasn't the fraud we were looking for. What happened was the credit card had gotten compromised, and so somebody was charging some charges on it and stuff like that. And so they had, the accounting people had marked it because it was in the, um, discussion with the bank about those charges and stuff. So it was a fraud, but it wasn't the fraud we were looking for. And then the uh, third thing is don't accuse anyone of anything. Because then if you start accusing people of stuff, they start shutting down and you're not going to get any more information. And it's going to make that work of the investigators a little bit more difficult if they've already shut down. To say, okay, nope, I'm not talking about anything. So you just have to, you know, be calm and not get ahead of yourself. Do you have any examples of when you've walked into a volatile situation? And what did you do, if so? And then what would be your advice for anyone else facing a similar situation? I performed well over 200 audits in my career. And fortunately, I have not been any kind of volatile or dangerous situations. Knock on wood. Uncomfortable situations, yes. Dangerous, no. I tell my auditors, this job is not for the weak. You have to be strong. You have to be courageous. And you have to know your stuff. Be confident. Once they see that you're confident, then usually they won't try to intimidate you. The things that I have experienced is people try to intimidate you. There's different kinds of intimidation. It's not always physical intimidation, but it could be they're trying to make you feel very uncomfortable by not giving you enough space to do your work, putting you in like in a closet. So they try to do that to, you know, if you're uncomfortable, maybe it's going to make the article a little bit faster. Sometimes they do intimidation by numbers. And what I mean by that is two people need to be in the audit. They invite 20. So it's 20 of them, two of you. Some people will be intimidated by that because, oh, all these people are going to gang up on me. There's different kinds of intimidation, but you have to be intuitive, listen to your own inner knowings, and then you just have to be strong. Now, I've had one situation that was very uncomfortable, and they were chain smoking in, in, the, in the conference room. Now, I know people smoke, like in, in overseas People still can smoke in buildings and stuff like that. But it was like three of the guys were smoking three cigarettes each at the same time. And I was like, this is highly unusual. I mean, unless they're really nervous about this audit. I, I don't know anybody who has three lit cigarettes and they were just chain smoking. Yeah. Something, are they nervous? Do they have something to hide? And it was like a fog in there. After about an hour, I mean, it, you could cut it. I cannot do smoke. And I didn't want to be rude, but I was like, they have to stop smoking or this audit's going to be over. So I asked for a break. We stepped outside. It was two of us because I had one person there for translation. And first of all, I went to find out, is this customary? Because this seems very, highly unusual, but I don't know. Just let me know. And then he said, yeah, no, this seems a little bit strange. I said, I think they're trying to smoke me out because it was very uncomfortable. My eyes were burning. Oh my my throat was scratchy. And I told him, I said, listen, okay. Now, I don't want to be rude, but this is two things are going to happen. They're going to have to stop smoking or this audit is over, and I'm going to rule that as lack of cooperation for the audit by trying to make me so uncomfortable I cannot even do my work. So if they want this audit to continue, the cigarettes have to go. You're laying down the law. Yes, you have to do that because I tried to take it for an hour, and then it was apparent that this, I don't think this is normal. So we went back in, and then, you know, we tried to, you know, we said it nicely and stuff like that and said, listen, you know, it's a lot of smoke in here. And then um, explain the situation that they have to stop smoking or the audit's over. 
that's it. And then they apologized. They said, oh, we're sorry. We're sorry. We didn't know. So they put out the cigarettes. They, we opened up windows and tried to ventilate and stuff like that. And then we continued with the audit. This business partner was not very cooperative. So that was one strategy that they used. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, we, fit, we were able to finish the audit and they were walking us out. We we're going down the elevator and this guy made a comment and he said, you know, when we want to end meetings early, we just tend to smoke a lot. So then I was saying to myself, aha, it is a strategy. It's a strategy. So anyway, so that's the only kind of uncomfortable situation that I've, I've been in. And I totally avoid the closet thing by saying, hey, I need your senior manager or your senior VP who knows your business to be active in the audit and participating. Mm-hmm. So then they don't put you in those kinds of environments because they have to be there too unless they want to suffer with you. But I just tell auditors, if you're in a situation where it's turning hostile and you feel that this is not going to be good for you. You have to be able to pay attention to what's going on, assess the environment, read body language, read their emotions, how they're reacting. Are they being overly defensive? Their reactions to questions? Are they waiting profusely? That's all body language where you can say, okay, this person's uncomfortable. And if they get overly aggressive, then you have to say, okay, this is not worth it. Worth it. Safety's first. And then I say, when in doubt, pull out. Mm-hmm. When in doubt, pull out. Don't give a negative feedback. Don't tell them that the audit is going to be unsuccessful because you guys are committing fraud. Just don't do it. Act like everything's okay. And then say, okay, we're concluding the audit. We will have to review our work papers and results, and we'll get back to you. Mm-hmm. And then you go get to your hotel, get on the airplane, and then when you're back home safely, and then you can voice your concerns. If you can see that a situation is getting volatile, then it's not worth it. Awesome. Thank you so much. That's all I've got for you, but I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. This has been another episode of Fraud Talk. To find all of our episodes, visit acfe.com slash podcast, the iTunes store, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Courtney Howell signing off.